And now it's time once more for Round Britain Quiz. Hello. This is Lemuel Pale in London with our resident team, Sir Jeremy Logan and Hugh Chuck Tyke. And are you there in Edinburgh, Roy Plumtree? No. <laughs> Well, are you there in Manchester? Yes, I am. And I have with me our Manchester team, whose names I forget for the moment. So let's start off with your round. Thank you. We'll have four shandies and tomato juice. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. And here's the first question. Who or what were the three little pigs and what had the big bad wolf in common with them? Oh, oh um, uh, oh, that's, um, um, yeah. um, If I said pickled herring, would that help you? No. <laughs> I thought not. Are the pigs you mention fact or fiction? Neither. Ah. <laughs> well, that narrows the field considerably. <laughs> Is there not some connection here with a certain envelope and 17 artichokes? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Well, your time is up. Wellington Boots. No, the answer is, of course, Paris. Oh, of course. So you get no marks there. <laughs> and now we have a musical question. Why does the following piece of music strike terror into the hearts of thousands? Well, I, I think there are six reasons. Uh, Tim Brooke Taylor, John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Kendall, and uh, Bill Oddie. Yes, yes, quite right. In fact, any one of those would have been enough. Quite enough. <laughs> so that means... Yes? It's... I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Again. <laughs> Here we are, Angela, the Blue Hot Bowl, an old country inn, a true part of our English heritage. English dishes served in a friendly atmosphere, super. Ah, ah good evening. Evening. You left it a bit late, haven't you? It's nearly seven o'clock. <laughs> All right, give me your coats. Oh, thank you. That'll be a pound each. <laughs> a pound? Either that or we go through your pockets while you're eating. Now, did you book? Well, yes, a uh, table for two in the name Quentin Thomas. Oh, yes, as I said to cook, cutie and his cutie. Huh. <laughs> All right, this way. Gerald, my foot's caught. I can't get my heel out of the floor grating. Grills are our speciality. <laughs> now step out of the shoe and leave it there with the others. Come along, come along, hurry up. Oh, very well. Shall we... Oh! Mind the beam. Oh! And the other one. <laughs> right, this is your table. What? Out here in the corridor? Yes, I've got my motorbike stripped down the dining room. <laughs> Oh, what about the breakfast room? I've got the maid strip down in there. <laughs> now, come on, come on, look sharp and start ordering. The cook has a bus to catch and it's my early night. Most things are off anyway. At least it smells like it. <laughs> well, um, I think we'll start with the uh, martini aperitif. No, no, you won't. I can't read uh, part of the cellar. It's flooded. You can have the Moroccan furniture, Sherry, if you want. The Montelado Wadi Ben Ahmed. Uh, I think not, thank you. Uh, the sole a la Monogasque. Uh, that sounds interesting. Yes, uh, yes that's Dover sole, stuffed with truffles and caviar, with a lobster and white wine sauce, mm, uh, yeah. garnished with buttered artichokes and deviled shrimps. Ooh. It's quite delicious and it's off. <laughs> we have got two portions left, but one's for me and the other's for the cat. I see. Well, uh, creme de champignon, then, uh, from your own beds. No, you're too early for the mushrooms. Too early? No, yes, they haven't got up yet. <laughs> 
Angela, I think I favour the ragout de lait provençal. Ah. Don't you think that enough? Ah, that is one of our typical English dishes. Well, what is it? I don't know. <laughs> it's a very rare dish. No one has ever ordered it before, but it might be curried toad. Right, that's uh, two toads then. Uh, now, the sweet. Prunes or fruit? Uh, what's the fruit? Prunes. <laughs> well, uh, I'll have the prunes. The prunes are off. <laughs> I'll have the fruit then. Right, one prune. We'll take white coffee in the lounge to finish with. No, black only. It's much more economic for us, and you can't use the lounge. We've got a stray Guernsey in there. I can't think what brings people here. Muddy cars. <laughs> with food served under the personal supervision of the proprietor. Oh, we've not seen him. Perhaps not. He's watching you through that crack in the ceiling. Now, I must get on. Here's your bottle and a hammer. Open it while I'm away. Oh, thanks very much. And if any other customers arrive while I'm away, sit them at the billiard table and get them polishing the horse brasses. I'll be back in two hours. Darling. Yes, darling. I love you. Do you know what this means? Yes, it means warm affection, strong emotional attachment, sexual passion or desire, charity, benevolence, self-sacrificing, goodwill, devotion or term of endearment. Well, you've certainly done your homework, I must say. But do you mean it? Of course I do. I think your love means nothing. As in tennis, you mean? No, I don't. <laughs> Where do you get these definitions? From that new English dictionary. Is that the one with... Yes, with all four letters. <laughs> Darling, are you trying to say something to me? No, I'm not. I think you're a sex maniac. I am not. Why not? What's wrong with me? <laughs> anyway, what was that bit about sexual passion or desire? I also said I had a strong emotional attachment and self-sacrificing goodwill. I see. It's intellectual rape. It is not. You're taking advantage of a young girl's mind. All I said was that I loved you. Take your filthy thoughts off me, you disgusting mental Casanova. You mean take my hands off you? No, leave them where they are. <laughs> you mean it's just your mind you want to keep clean? Yes. How disgusting. So my mind's not good enough for you? I didn't say a that. A lot of people find my mind very handsome. I'm sure they do. If there was a Mr. Universe competition for minds, mine would take first three places. Three cheers for your mind. Why don't you like it? It's filthy. It is not. It is. You can practically write wash me on your mind, it's so filthy. That is the last straw. I'm going. I thought you were going. That was my mind. The rest of me is staying here with you. <laughs> And now, biology for schools. This afternoon, Dr. Sampson Huge will be talking to you about sex. Dr. Huge. Hello. <laughs> I've been asked to talk to you today about the facts of life. Sex. Now, this is not a subject that we should keep hidden away to get embarrassed about or snigger at. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. Sex is a wonderful thing if it is treated honestly and properly. Oh, yes. Well, what then is sex? Let's have a look at this board here. This is a man, and this is a woman. 
If you can't tell the difference between them, then just ask your teacher <laughs> what you're doing listening to this broadcast. <laughs> now, just take a look at this next picture. Do you know what that is? It's a baby. Isn't it? <laughs> of course it is. If it isn't, my whole theory falls flat on its face. <laughs> now, now, the next question that you should be asking yourself is, what is the connection between the man, the woman, and the baby? And that's a very good question. <laughs> no, it's nothing to be sniggered at. In fact, it's all to do with birds and bees. Although, for the life of me, I can't see why. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I've drawn a picture of a bird and a bee here, so perhaps you can draw your own conclusions. <laughs> it does seem a bit unlikely, doesn't it? Perhaps a more scientific approach would be better. Let's go back to the blackboard. Now, sex is really a simple equation. A man, M, plus a woman, W... Equals a baby, B. A baby, B? <laughs> ah, that's where the B's come in. <laughs> well, well, anyway, M plus W equals the B. Have you got that? Good. Now, suppose we try and move the baby, or the B, over to the left of the equation, in which case, of course, it becomes a minus. So M plus W minus B equals naught. It's rather beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> now, some of you brighter children may say, what on earth is the use of that? And that's another very good question. <laughs> but your mistake is to assume that that round figure is a naught. It isn't a naught at all. It's, um, it's an egg. That's it, it's an egg, and that's where the baby comes from. <gasps> or perhaps that's where the birds come from. And the bees. That's it, the baby bee comes from the egg, which was laid by the chicken. <laughs> that's where the birds come in. <laughs> well, that's sex, you see. You do? Well, next week I shall be talking about sex again, this time for children from five to seven, and the week after for children from eight to midnight. Good night. When you're waiting for your ship to come in, and it's lost, lost without trace. When things are getting on top of you And life is too hard to face When your silver lining's a long time coming And you're feeling sad and blue Don't get down on it, don't lose hope Cos there's a one thing left to do just powder your face with quick lime pour acid on your hair pour a boiling water on your hands today and feel your fingers tingle as the skin peels away oh give me that ostrain jacket and hand me the wholesale show for masochistic pleasure there is nothing that's half As thrilling as the tingle of a sulfuric bath Then dry yourself in nettles for a really good laugh And drown all your troubles in vitriol bubbles And drown all your troubles away We now present a radio adaptation of that rollicking, boisterous, historical novel Mole Flounders Diary of a Woman of Fortune.
I was born in the year 1703 to poor but married parents. <laughs> of my early life, I remember but little, except that I spent my days wandering about the nearby countryside, watching the summer turning to autumn, the leaves turning to gold, and my father turning to drink. <laughs> My father was a powerful man, but gentle, and for hour upon hour he would bounce me on his knee or against the wall as the fancy took him. <laughs> I saw very little of my mother as a child, as she was grown up by the time I met her. <laughs> and so my childhood passed, until one day, as I strolled through the nearby woods, a strange thing happened. I suddenly came face to face with a tall, handsome stranger astride a beautiful horse wearing hunting pink. But before I could ask why his horse was wearing hunting pink, <laughs> he spoke. I'd never heard a horse speak before. And I gasped with amazement. The handsome rider dismounted and tossed back his luxuriant black hair, which landed in the grass behind him. <laughs> he addressed me. Now, what are we here? What's your name, me pretty? Mall flounders, sir. Well, Maud, you're a handsome wench, and no mistake. Sir, I believe you're a stranger to these parts. That's right, I usually play old men. <laughs> but I've not seen you before. No, I am Sir Roger de Coverlet, the new squire. Oh, I know all about you squires and your wicked practices. There's nothing wicked about squire practices. <laughs> But you are forgiven, my dear. Come, let us sit down on the grass and we'll make up. Oh, all right. Uh, may I borrow your lipstick? <laughs> Thank you. But now I must go. But we shall meet again, for you shall come to work at Coverlet Manor. Without another word, he jumped on his horse. Mm. I watched him jumping up and down in it for a few minutes. <laughs> then I hurried home, shaken but not stirred. <laughs> Next morning, who should ride up to our humble cottage but Sir Roger? He spoke earnestly with my father for a few moments, and I saw the sum of twenty guineas change hands. I could see that my father was greatly moved at parting with the money. <laughs> but before I knew what was happening, Sir Roger had all me up onto the horse beside him, and we were off. We soon clambered on again <laughs> and galloped up the road towards the manor. Army pretty, Coverlet Manor. You shall work here as a chambermaid from now on. Ah, here is Grimbling, the butler. Welcome home, Master Roger. Tis a long, long time since we've seen you at Coverlet Manor. Your mother wishes to see you in the green room. I'm afraid she's not very well today. She's been seeing spots before her eyes. Dear me, has she seen a doctor? No, sir, just spots. <laughs> That's a very old joke. Really. I'm a very old butler. <laughs> come along, Ball. Come along, Ball. Let's go and see Mother. We entered a large green room, and sitting at the fireplace was Lady Coverlet, a tall, regal, gracious bit of crackling. <laughs> she was sitting too close to the fire. <laughs> Blushing, I dropped a curtsy. Butterfingers. <laughs> 
Mother, this is Mole, the new chambermaid. Come here, child, where I can see you. You have a pretty face, my dear, and a fine figure to boot. Oh, that is so unfunny. Maybe, but I usually get a laugh with the voice. <clears throat> Roger, come here. I do not approve of this young lady. She comes from rude peasant stock. It should make very good soup. <laughs> but if I, if I turned my back on her, there's no knowing what she might pinch. You can trust her mother and her father. Very well. <laughs> very well, but don't go getting involved with her. Now it is time for my tea and muffins. Ask Grimbling to bring the tea and tell Muffins I'm waiting for him. <laughs> And so I started work at Coverlet Hall. During the next weeks, I saw a great deal of Roger, though I didn't see him very often. <laughs> <laughs> then, one day... Oh, Mole, will you marry me? Roger, this is so sudden. Then the answer's no? Yes. Oh. <laughs> For the next four days, he hardly spoke, and then... What do you mean, Yes. I mean, I will. Oh, Ma, we must tell Mother at once. Mother, I'm going to marry Ma, your chambermaid. Oh, handmaid? <laughs> no, chambermaid. Oh, send me muffins. Next morning we were married, and that night a glittering ball was given. Here's a glittering ball for you, my dear. Oh. <laughs> And a Christmas cracker for you, you lovely girl. As I entered the ballroom that night, all eyes turned in my direction. Gathering up my skirts, which had fallen off in the excitement, <laughs> I walked serenely into the room. Ah, oh, there you are, Moll. What's been holding you up? A safety pin. <laughs> Come and let me introduce you to some of the guests. Good evening, Coverlet. Who is this captivating wench? Ah, Moll, this is the Prime Minister, my wife. I didn't know you were already married, Roger. <laughs> Was an enchanting girl. Absolutely enchanting. Poor old soul. He's been having a hard time at the rent bill. <laughs> if he doesn't pay out Tuesday, he'll be evicted. Now, you must meet Sir Lionel Tuppence. He's in the cabinet. What's he doing in there? Mixing cocktails. <laughs> ah, there is someone else you must meet. Count Alphonse Toujours La Politesse. Madame, I have been looking forward to this moment all evening. Count Alphonse is French. I know that. Yes, but the people at home may have some difficulty with the accent. <laughs> But listen, the band is striking up. Will you join me on the floor? Well, I don't want to get my dress dirty. Uh -huh. I mean, would you care to dance? I'll be delighted. You will, you will. Five minuets later. It was time for Count Alphonse to leave, but for the rest of the evening, I seemed to see his devilishly handsome face always before me. That night, as I undressed in my boudoir, I heard a strange noise behind the screen. Un, deux, trois, quatre, cinq, six, seven. The French Count! Yes! <laughs> yes! It is I, Alphonse, toujours la politesse. Come away with me, Moll. What are you saying? Oh, my little cabbage, my little mushroom. Let me take you away from here. But what about my husband? No, no, I'd rather take you. 
Oh, Alphonse, you've persuaded me. Oh, Mull. So, what have we here? Oh, my husband. Mon Dieu, I am undone. So I see. <laughs> Count Alphonse, I must insist that honour is satisfied. Choose your weapon. I choose swords. Very well, I choose pistols. <laughs> Till dawn tomorrow night, then. Good morning. Oh, Alphonse, what will you do? Mon chéri, I am an aristocrat and a Frenchman. Then you fight him? No, I'll run away. <laughs> I shall smuggle myself into France. But what about the French customs? You must learn them from somebody else, my dear. Farewell! <laughs> I never saw Alphonse again, and next day my husband and I set out for London, where we were to live. Suddenly, as the carriage passed over a narrow bridge... Stand and deliver. Who the devil are you, sir? I am none other than Dick Turpentine, the notorious highwayman, and this is my famous horse, Black Beauty. I thought Black Beauty was a book. You're right. No wonder she's so slow. That's a terrible joke. It's a terrible book. All right. Hands up, the lot of you. This pistol I'm holding is a gun. <gasps> so step out of the coach and throw down your valuables. But we'll catch cold. That's not what I mean. Oh, I don't know, though. Now, look here, my good fellow. If you let us go on our way, I shall give you these four pieces of eight. Or these two pieces of sixteen. I'll take the money if you throw in your wife. Very well. Hup! Thank you, sir. God bless you. Coachman, drive to London as fast as you can. Yes, sir. Giddy up there, me beauties. To London we'll go. You might have waited for me. Well, I must be on my way. What about me? Well, you'll have to walk, seeing as you haven't got a horse to ride. Well, what about my wife? Oh, you wouldn't get far on her. <laughs> anyway, she's coming with me. Up you come, gal. Mole, you're not leaving me. Yes, Roger. When I first met you, I thought you were well-bred. No, I find you're just half-baked. That joke was sent in by Rosie Bedsock of 14 The Villas, West Hartlepool. <laughs> Bye-bye, sir. Goodbye, Roger. Come back! Come back! Come back! And so I went to look after Dick Turpentine. And I was very happy learning to cook and sew for him. One evening... Hello, darling. Had a good day? No. I had a bit of trouble robbing the Nottingham coach. What sort of trouble? Well, you remember you spent last night darning the holes in my black mask? Yes. <laughs> Still, I made a big haul. They made me pull the coach to London. By the way, we're having someone for supper. Oh, I thought we were having chicken. I mean, they'll be arriving any moment. But first, I must tell you something. What is it, Dick? It's another woman, isn't it? Yes. I met her today on the stagecoach. We're to be married tomorrow. She's a very great lady. I think I know who you mean. Oh, Dick, I shall never let you go. Young woman, put down my fiancé. <laughs> It's not possible. Perhaps not, but it makes a very neat ending. And 
once again, the Angus Prune tune brings to an end, I'm sorry I'll read that again, which featured the talents of Rosie Bedsock. The script was by Tim Brooke Taylor, Philip Cox and Graham Garden, the songs by John Cameron and Bill Oddie, and the music was provided in the ordinary way by Dave Lee. Also taking part were Tim Brooke Taylor, John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Kendall and Bill Oddie, who are all currently appearing in the stage adaptation of The Anatomy of Melancholy at the Totteridge and Whetstone Social and Bingo Club. <laughs> the producer, Humphrey Barclay, isn't appearing in anything at the Peekaboo Club Soho. LAUGHTER